0: Hey, everybody, welcome to another Baseball America podcast. I'm Kyle Glazer. We've got a very special show for you today with the Major League season starting up. We wanted to highlight some of the scouts who signed the players that are making their Major League debuts this year. A lot of these area scouts are putting in a lot of hours, a lot of days on the road always in the search of a future big leaguer and it's very very difficult to find one and occasionally a hit comes and when it does it's uh, a cause for celebration for the area scout, for the players, for the players family and we wanted to bring in the scouts to kind of tell everyone about what that process is like and what they saw in these players specifically when they were amateurs and uh, now that they're in the big leagues what they saw that made them feel that this would one day happen. We're starting off today with a couple of decorated scouts. John Stewart, who is currently the pitching coach at Castleton University in Vermont. He was a scout with the Atlanta Braves for 27 years and the Padres for two years. And during his time as the Padres Northeast Area Scout, he found Nick Margavishus, who Made the unlikely jump from A-ball straight to the Majors in the Padres rotation this year, and thus far has had two very nice starts as a rookie. We're also bringing in Rays international cross-checker Brad Budzinski. Brad previously was an Astros area scout and cross-checker out in Southern California. He signed Jason Martin, an outfielder who just made his debut with the Pittsburgh Pirates over the weekend. Very, very happy to have these two scouts come on to tell us their stories. I want to start with John Stewart. John was a scout with the Braves, as we mentioned. He was the signing scout for both Charlie Morton and Jason Marquis. He's known the Northeast for a long, long time, signed those two guys out of there, moved over to the Padres organization, and found a six foot-five left-hander out of Ryder University. Nick Margavishus was the seventh-round pick of the Padres on John's recommendation. Two years later, he's in their starting rotation. John is kind enough to join us now from Castleton University up in Vermont. John, thank you so much for joining us. First and foremost, when you heard that Nick was going to be the Padres' uh, Saturday starter right out of the gate this season, what was your initial reaction?
1: I was thrilled for him. He's a great kid, a great family. I uh, had nothing but positive uh, from the first day I met him. And you know, Any kid that I've signed that's got to the big league, uh, you're just excited for their success.
0: You've signed some pitchers before, Charlie Morton, Jason Marquis, the guys who have had the most success. What are some of the traits that you look for in pitchers, and which of those traits did you see in Nick as you were scouting him?
1: Well, uh, everybody has their own uh, set of tools that they bring to the table. Uh, you know, a guy like a Marquis or Charlie Morton were tremendous competitors, and I saw that in Nick. I uh, haven't seen him pitch for the years at Ryder. Uh, I saw him go out and compete, and, uh, you know, the things that you look for out of a pitcher, whether it be you know, arm strength or delivery and uh, you know a pitchability, I thought Nick had tremendous pitchability. He was big. He was strong. He was left-handed. Uh, some things that intrigued me, watching him play, there were games where he didn't have his best stuff, but he continued to keep his team in the game, and those are things that at the big league level, you don't always have your best stuff, but to have the ability to continue to, to grind and try to give yourself a chance to win. Uh, those are things that certainly help you throughout your
0: career. You mentioned that ability to keep grinding through no matter what stuff he had. What's really impressed a lot of people is the radar gun certainly doesn't light up when he's on the mounts. a lot of 87 to 89, he'll touch a 90-91. And because of that, with that repertoire, a guy who had never pitched above A ball was not really considered a serious candidate for the rotation. And then he went out and turned heads all during spring training. For him to be able to make that kind of jump... Did that even surprise you, or did you have a sense that he was one of those rare kids who could do something like that?
1: Well, you know, you're only surprised when you see a guy who, as you said, that doesn't have a skill set that just jumps off the board. But uh, to be surprised, I'd say no. Uh, That's why he wasn't a first-round pick, but certainly was a decent pick. Uh, The one thing I thought of a combination of things, he he was a level-headed kid. He's extremely intelligent. He graduated from Ryder in three years, uh, had a great thought process, and never got outside himself, and, and those are things that if you don't have a 95 to 100 mile an hour fastball and you have to have pitchability, you, you have to have the mindset of, I have to stay within what I do and continue to pitch, and uh, that's something I saw in Nick.
0: So going back to those years at Ryder, when was the first time you saw Nick Margavishis and became familiar with him?
1: Uh, I saw him in uh, the fall of his junior year. Uh, I, was, I was doing professional. Scouting for Atlanta, so I I was in a in a different profession. Oddly enough, you know the, the pro side and the and the amateur side are totally different animals. Uh, but I came over in the fall to San Diego, so I got a chance to see Nick pitch a couple times in the fall, and then in the spring I got there early in January when I started the workouts. I started hanging around a little bit to see him throw more because I, I he just intrigued me because he looked the part. You know, he's six five, he's 220 pounds, he's left-handed, he throws strikes. And the more you got to know him, the more you talked to him. But this guy's got a great head on his shoulders.
0: Absolutely. During the opening day press conference shortly after it was announced that Nick would be the Padres Saturday starter, A.J. Preller told reporters that you had him as the number one guy in your area that year. And when it came time on draft day, you were really pounding the table for him. What was You mentioned all the things that you liked about him to be the number one in your entire area, what kind of put him over the top of some of the other prospects? In a lot of cases, kind of above industry consensus.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, uh, sometimes when you're, when you're scouting, uh, you know, the area scout's job is to find the prospects and put them in order. Uh, sometimes it's important for an area scout to tell you the guys that you don't want. You know, the, there were top guys in there that had better fastballs maybe, uh, looked like they might have projected out a little bit farther. Uh, but for Nick, he was my number one guy for the fact that if you start to talk about percentage of opportunity to get to the big league, you know, whether you want to put a 30% chance on a guy or 20% chance, because guys get to the big leagues is very hard to do. So you never have a guy go, oh, he's 100% chance. I mean, there aren't that many bright Harpers out there. So for me, uh, the combination of makeup, ability, size, strength, I, I just felt like Nick's the most – the best chance to get to the big leagues out of my group, and that's why I had him at the number one spot. I didn't think uh, at the time when we drafted him, I, I didn't, wasn't so, saying he was going to be uh, a number one starter, I you know any of that. It was this guy's probability to get to the big leagues and giving us a chance to do something was very high. I don't like the rest of them. There was enough holes in everybody's game that this guy had a chance to get there.
0: When did you become convinced of that? Was there a specific start that really convicted you that this was going to be the guy for you in that regard?
1: Well, I mean, I played for a long time with Atlanta, and I, I did some coaching in Atlanta. And you, When you, you're around enough players of that type of caliber, there's just that something that you get in your gut. You say, you know, this is the kind of guy that beats the odds. And in this case, you know, Nick, when you talk to him, he, he's got a tremendous personality. He's got a really good work ethic. He's got a great feel for what his stuff is and what he can do with his stuff and, and didn't ever really have a – never got a feeling around Nick that he didn't think he could do it. You know, he wasn't a cocky guy. He wasn't really outspoken, but had a real sense of confidence that he felt, felt like the stuff he had and the stuff he brought to the table was enough. And, and when you're around enough of those guys, you know, I played with Johnny Smoltz and Tommy Glavin and those guys, that, just that, that sense of, of confidence, and I felt Nick had that.
0: So take us through kind of the area scout process, if you will. You mentioned you go and see him in the fall. You keep circling back in the winter to check him out during workouts. How many actual games did you go and watch him pitch? Because you have to cover Uh, a lot of area.
1: Yeah, oh yeah, there's no question. You're covering a tremendous amount of area. Uh, What you try to do is during the fall and and the winter, you try to spend enough time with some of the players that are prospects. Some of them are guys that, that, uh, you know, are going to go very good in the draft. So you'll see them plenty of times. But it's guys like Nick who are kind of off the beaten path. Everybody knows who they are, but you know that there's different scouts with different opinions. Some guys are turned off by him because you didn't see 93. And some teams, uh, you know, there's, there's different criteria for the clubs. So some teams, that, you know, that guy just doesn't fit what we're looking for. But, uh, I, I saw Nick throw three times in the spring myself, and uh, we had, you know, whether it be our cross-checker or national guy, so uh, they came circling in behind him. I may not have been with them, but I would say, oh, no, we probably saw him five times in the spring. I saw him a couple of times in the fall. I saw him two or three times in the winter. And, uh, you know, whatever chance I could be around the kid to get a better feel for who he was or what he was, because he wasn't a surefire hit, you know, it's easy to turn the radar going on. Well, this guy's on 97, he's probably going to be a really good pick. <laughs> Nick was a guy, you know, he was kind of a acquired taste.
0: Absolutely. And a big part of the area scout's job is not just watching these guys pitch, but getting to know them, getting inside the house, talking with them, talking with their families. Along the process, when did you start to really start to get a feel for who Nick was as a person? And what was that like meeting him and his family and going into the home?
1: Oh, it was terrific. They're great people. Like I said, when, when you meet Nick, you know, he came from uh, good stock, and, you know, mom was a teacher, and uh, I came through uh, myself, and my whole family with teachers, so I kind of had that kind of mindset of what they were. They're people that worked hard, put in there every day, you know, knew that there was something to be done and had to get it done regardless of whether they wanted to. And, uh, I started having regular dialogue with the family uh, throughout the spring. Just, you know, whether it be how did he pitch, give me a give me a message back, how'd you do if I wasn't there, uh, what'd you feel like, talk to Mommy Dax. They tried to get to some games, and they were a little ways away. They lived in Ohio, but they were getting to games. You know, what what did you see? Did they throw the ball good today? Just, you know, they were honest people that they'd seen him more than I had. So, you know, you continue to get some feedback from them. Is he throwing better? Is he throwing the same? Is there things you didn't see? Uh, so when I was there, I could kind of fill in the pieces.
0: You mentioned not having explosive stuff, the fastball being in that high 80s range. Did you feel like there was secondary stuff you could hang your hat on, or was it, again, just kind of more the sum is greater than the individual pitch grades?
1: Um, well, you know, I'd seen him throw up to 92, and every once in a while, if he was in a jam guy on third, maybe it was a, a big out. I saw him turn it up just a little bit, but, uh, he, again, he was big, he was left-handed, he had kind of a little little low slot from the left side, and, and he could spin a breaking pitch. And, you know, in the big leagues, you watch it every night like I do. You, you can throw 400 in the big leagues. Guys will hit it. It's the ability to spin something uh, behind in the count at 2-0, 2-1, you know, maybe throw a change-up in an odd situation. And I felt like he had enough feel and smart enough to know when to do
0: it. So you see the the mental makeup both on and off the field you see the ability to spin the ball locate everything for strikes you see the competitor in him all these things start to add up draft day comes it's day two the seventh round starts what take us inside the draft room and what was that process like because obviously you have conviction but you have to convince everyone else in the room as well how did it go from you wanted nick Margavishus to the padres drafted nick margavish's
1: uh, well when, when the first starts when you get to that first uh, meeting, it's usually sometime in April, much earlier than the draft. It's the first time you're setting your area together, you know prior to the draft. You come in, you sit down you talk about what you're seeing, who the top guys are and and who your gut feel guy is. And through the years, whether it be when I was with Atlanta or San Diego, gut feel was a big deal because the scouts are the guys that are out there watching day in day out. They're not really looking so much at the staff. they're looking so much at what maybe the industry is talking about. It's the guy who just, this guy here has something that nobody else has, or this is the kind of guy that I want to hang my hat on, that if it works, great. If it doesn't work, you don't feel bad about sticking your neck out. I went in there, and I, I told them, I said, you know, this guy doesn't have standout stuff, but this is a big leaguer. At what capacity? Well, that remains to be seen. But, and then when I went back to the next meeting, they said, well, what do you got up there? I said, I, I'm telling you, mine hasn't changed. If, if we get to take a guy out of the Northeast, I'd be proud to have a guy like Nick Marquesis or uh, Nick and they uh, they said, well, we'll see. And then when the draft came, I made like phone calls to my supervisors, and said, hey, don't forget this guy. You know, it doesn't have to be the first round, but we need to take him decently because somebody will pull the trigger. And uh, you know, luckily for me, I got one.
0: What is that feeling like when you get one of your guys picked? Because sometimes a lot of scouts, particularly in the non-traditional baseball power areas such as the Northeast, sometimes they'll not get that many guys, and and I know they can get frustrated. So what's that feeling like knowing a guy who you stuck your neck out for and hung your hat on ended up becoming a part of your organization?
1: Well, I'm always excited anytime I get a guy because the way I I did my area for the years I was there, The guys I had on my list were the guys I wanted. There's a lot of times you'll hear scouts say, "Yeah, I got that guy." I didn't really. No, I'm I'm not going to fight for guys I don't want. Uh, The guys that are on my list, sometimes uh, teams get frustrated because they look and say, "Well, Jesus, you know, there's some guys that are really supposed to go good in your area, and you just kind of have them buried because I don't want them. I want the guys that I think are going to play in the big leagues, or at least if nothing else, are going to go out and make our organization proud and serve a purpose." so, you know, with us, that's kind of the reason why I had Nick Way up on my board. That That's the guy I wanted to have because I just felt like, that yeah, that's a big leaguer, but I want big leaguers.
0: Absolutely, and he's certainly proven you right. Uh, he's gone up to the big leagues and also been pretty good through his first couple of starts. I have to ask, that first start, were you glued in front of the TV watching it, or what were you doing for his first big league start?
1: Well, I, I, did, uh, I did go online and, and watch a little bit here or there. I, I, I didn't have a lot of time. We were actually playing that day, but... Um, I, I every chance I got, him, I stepped behind the dugout just to see where he was at. And, uh, you know, I was rooting for him. I when I was like, I was in the stands for him. And, uh, when he's out there on the field, I know he's not thinking about me, but he knows that he's got a guy in his corner.
0: Absolutely. Uh, do you guys still maintain contact with yeah, scouts? Yeah, I talked
1: to his dad the other night. Um, he, he after the he had pitched, he, he called and talked to me, and we we talked about. Uh, you know, he said thank you for all the effort trusting in nick and you know i told him i said it had nothing to do with me it's everything he's done it's his work and you know his his uh his efforts were we got him where he is but um i actually have a ball right here sitting from the game uh in a cube who was sent to me so but we will stay in touch and you know i, I hope it all works out for me i stay in touch with most of my guys whether you know charlie or martin after the world series there we had an outstanding series i've talked to charlie since and uh uh, just, any of these guys that i sent out there and fortunately for me in my career I've had about 15 big leaguers and you know whoever like, if I can do anything for them I, you know, I still stay in contact with most of them even from the ones that are uh, long since gone
0: absolutely alright John well thank you so so much for joining us congratulations on having another big leaguer under your belt Nick Margavish and we look forward to watching Nick's career
1: No, thanks for having me on Kyle.
0: great stuff from John just about Nick Margavish and what he saw and how he was able to pinpoint a future big leaguer in a non-traditional power baseball area there in the Northeast. We're moving on now to another scout from a uh, more traditional uh, hotbed of baseball talent, if you will, and that's Brad Budzinski. He was the Astros Southern California area scout for a a decade, as well as a West Coast cross checker. He's signed a number of big leaguers, Jake Nottingham being one, J.D. Davis being another. He signed Patrick Sandoval, who's now a top prospect in the Angels organization. He was the Astros area scout the year they drafted Brady Aiken, number one overall, and Jacob Nix in the fifth round. Obviously, those players weren't signed, but Brad was still the scout on the ground scouting those guys. Brad is now an international cross-checker in the Rays system, but he signed someone who is also now a big leaguer from his time with the Astros, and that's Pittsburgh Pirates outfielder Jason Martin. Brad was the area scout for Jason when he was drafted in the eighth round in the 2013 draft Martin was traded to the Pirates as part of the Garrett Cole deal and made his debut over the weekend. He's off to a hot start. We're happy to be joined now by Brad calling in from the Dominican Republic. Brad, when you heard that Jason Martin, one of the guys you signed, was getting the call to the big leagues last weekend, what was your reaction?
2: Oh, man, I was really excited. Uh, Jason's a really, really great kid. Um, Probably one of the best kids I've been around. So. To hear that he was getting an opportunity to fulfill his dream was uh, was awesome. And of course, like you know, personally as a scout, like it's kind of the pinnacle of our our work. You know, you get to see your guy make the big leagues, so it was outstanding.
0: Overall, you've had some guys make the big leagues before. You've had J.D. Davis. You've had Jacob Nottingham. I feel like the first is always probably the most exciting. But does it ever change from the third guy you sign making the big leagues to the fifth? How does that all differ?
2: No, I, I think. Each one is uniquely exciting. Obviously, you have different relationships with the kid, and the way the scouting process played out is different for everybody. Um, so because of that like, unique interaction and everyone being a little different, I think they're all special in, in their own way. You know, I was, got the opportunity to watch his first game, and he got a hit you know, his first at-bat. And my wife was with me, and uh, you know, I was pretty excited. It was almost like your brother doing it or something like that.
0: Absolutely. I want to go back to 2013. Jason is a senior at Orange Lutheran High School, one of the power schools uh, in Southern California, but really the nation as well. They just won their third straight NHSI and they churn out pro guys year after year after year. Garrett Cole's an alumni, probably one of the most prominent ones. You're scouting Orange Lutheran. What about Jason stood out to you as a high schooler?
2: You know, I think with him, it was like his overall baseball skill. Uh, He had a really solid swing, he didn't swing and miss. He had really outstanding makeup. Um, you knew there were going to be no on-field or off-field problems with him at all. Um, he was going to be able to handle the grind of the minor league system. And there was a lot of sneaky power in there, and you didn't know exactly how much he'd get to and how that would play out. But it was kind of one of those deals where, hey, I mean, this guy's a good baseball player. He's going to put the bat on the ball. He's going to play solid defense, and he's going to run the bases. If he gets into a little more power than we think he can, like you might really have a regular.
0: He was kind of an undersized guy. Going back and looking at some of his uh, high school scouting reports, the phrase, good little player, came up a lot. Any concern there on taking a a prep guy who's only 5'10", 180?
2: You know, not a ton, because I think we had done a good amount of work on him, and we'd seen the flashes of power. In fact, I remember one particular call with David Post where he'd seen him hit a long home run. Um, And I've seen him, you know, get to the pole side on the ball every now and then. And it's like, you know, it's in there. Obviously, you didn't think it was going to be 30 home run power. But if he gets to double digits and he can hit 280, you know, real chance to have a big leaguer.
0: Their senior year is when they get the most draft attention. The signing comes after that senior year. But a lot of times the process starts well in advance. When was the first time you saw Jason Martin and became kind of intrigued by him?
2: You know, at some point it was his underclass kid. I guess I don't remember the exact year now because it's been a little bit of time, but he was a very famous name. And that's obviously a huge program, so you see those guys quite a bit. Uh, and he was just always one of those kids that it looked right on the baseball field. Like he was a, a really good baseball player. Um, and it's just like, okay, like, we'll see how the tools develop. And obviously physically he's not going to be a monster, but those are the kids you really got to bear down and kind of get a feel for their baseball skill
0: absolutely the baseball skill jumps out you see him having the type of season that you wanted to see out of him that said he wasn't a first round pick second round pick third round pick he fell to the 8th round he had a commitment to Long Beach State uh, an excellent program that at that time was building a group that would eventually go to uh, on to win a big West title what's that process like trying to decipher okay is this kid going to sign are we going to lose him to college especially when they aren't a first round second round guy who projects to get you know a million dollar signing bonus
2: yeah, so I think this starts all the way back in the fall, and you start to, I'd been around the area for a few years, obviously, at that point, and you know who scout ball coaches. Uh, you know guys who've been around him, um, you spend spent time at the field watching the way he carries himself and plays, and you know, you have discussions with the player, and you get an idea kind of for like which way he's leaning in terms of going to school or playing, and I'd always gotten the feeling that the kid really, really wanted to play. Um, I had a good relationship with his advisor at the time as well. And like, they were pretty straightforward with us. Um, and, you know, it was kind of one of those classic deals. They were maybe shooting for one number and with the slotting system, that number came and went and, you know, they adjusted kind of mid draft and decided Jason wanted to go play. And, you know, I give credit to Mike Elias. You know, I told Mike, Hey, listen, the the numbers change. This is where we're at. It matches our slot. Uh, and Mike just was like, yeah, we're taking them. And, there was no delay. We, we jumped on it very, very fast as soon as there was a change.
0: Yeah, you know, we get into the draft room, because you do all the preparation, you have the meetings, you you lay out your case, why you believe in this guy, why you think this guy would be a good fit for the organization, become draft day, you know, the numbers are changing, there's a you know, players from all over the country on the board, every scout's fighting for their own guy. What's that process like of, of convincing your superiors that, hey, this is the guy we should take at this pick right now?
2: Well, I tell you, we had a pretty good system going over there. Um, it, it was actually pretty straightforward. Uh, I was busy, you know, in my corner, keeping contact with agents and players and monitoring as things changed. And Mike was very open to us, just merely like walking up to him and telling him, Hey, this is what I got. This is what you'd like to do. And, you know, sometimes he listens and sometimes he doesn't, of course, he's the boss, but, um, it was really pretty quick and straightforward. We're all in the draft room. Um, so we all had direct access to Mike, and we were feel free, free to speak our mind, excuse me, and we just kind of fired.
0: In regards to that, once the pick is made, you get to talk to Jason, someone that you have established a relationship with. What's that phone call like saying, hey, you know, we got you?
2: No, oh, it's a great feeling, because, um, you know, obviously this is a culmination for the player, too. Uh, so they get to congratulate him, and welcome to the Houston Astros, and... Kind of tell them, hey, your dream's coming true. You're going to get to play major or professional baseball. Um, that's outstanding. I love that part of it. Uh, that's you know, part like as you advance and maybe start cross-checking or doing different things, you, you do miss that part.
0: The, the one-on-one relationships are obviously a huge part of, of what makes an area scout's job so much fun, as you mentioned. What was the process in terms of getting to know the kid, the family? Because, again, you see the talent. You evaluate the tools. But one of the biggest things area scouts do is they go into the homes. They get to know the kid. They get to know the family. What did you kind of sense when you spoke with Martin and, and kind of got a sense for where he came from?
2: Um, you know, I think the biggest thing for me actually with Jason is probably the stuff you do away from the family and the kid You know, I think we get a chance in Southern California to watch those kids play so much That a big part of the makeup stuff is just observing how they carry themselves on the field um, And as I mentioned too, like Southern California pretty tight-knit community um, you get to know enough of the coaches and the guys and other scouts who've been around that kid quite a bit. I, I think a huge chunk of my work there came not from directly talking to Jason or the family, but doing work around him. And I, I couldn't find anyone that didn't think he was a very hard worker and like a really good, upbeat kid uh, with a lot of energy. And really with that profile, I knew that was going to be very, very important for him Um And that was the biggest selling point for me, is that this kid was not going to back down from the grind. He was going to love playing. If it took him a few years in the minor leagues to kind of grind his way through and let the power develop, I I knew that was never going to be an issue.
0: Yeah, you mentioned that grind. He was drafted in 2013. It's now 2019 he's making his major league debut. He's only 23. He's still very young. But that's a six-year-long grind in the minors, and not every player is cut out for that.
2: No, it's tough. And I remember Jason and I having a conversation at one point early where he had got held back and extended for the second time because he was banged up and, you know, obviously he was frustrated and hoping the, the process would move faster. And, you know, sometimes you just got to tell those guys, relax, like you're a good player. This is going to play out. This is all part of the process. You're still very young. And obviously I'm sure he had his frustrations and, and questions at the time, but yeah, that's where the makeup comes in. Like every player is going to deal with getting punched in the mouth at some point. Um, just how do they respond to that and, and continue through and, uh, Obviously, like, he did a great job responding to that. And he went out and had a big year that year in Quad Cities, and that kind of started, like, his, his ascent.
0: Now, it's important to note that you signed him as a member of the Astros scouting staff. He's making his debut as a member of the Pittsburgh Pirates. Jason was one of the players traded to the Pirates in the Garrett Cole deal a couple years ago. Is it bittersweet when the guy you signed debuts with another team? What's that reaction like?
2: Um, you know, I, I wouldn't say it's bittersweet. I think... You did your job. The guy's a big leaguer. That's outstanding. And, of course, he was part of a trade that got big league value in return, and Garrett Cole's a tremendous pitcher. So I think you almost get two rewards in that end. Uh, when your guy's part of a major trade like that, it's very exciting. And then when he makes the big leagues, it's kind of icing on the cake. So I, I don't look at it as bittersweet in any way. I think it's just as enjoyable.
0: Yeah, you kind of allude to, that was my next question, seeing a guy you draft to get traded to another organization, but when he brings back a player the caliber of a Garrett Cole, I would imagine there is that sense of rewarding of, okay, you know, I found someone that is bringing back significant value to our organization, even if it's in a different way than just he's having big league at-bats.
2: Yeah, I mean, obviously, like when we're drafting these guys, there's an element of unknown. Um, how this all plays out, none of us know for sure, whether that's the first round or all the way down to the 40th. So once they start to attain prospect value and the organization can use them uh, to move for different pieces, like... It, you really start to get a sense of accomplishment at, at that point. That's, you know, what we're trying to do um, in a huge regard. Like the best we can do is provide the organization with talent, guys that are going to become prospects and then see how the chips fall. Cause I mean, you see guys change so often, even once they make the big leagues, you see guys change. So some of this is unpredictable in a sense, but yeah, the opportunity that they, they become prospects, we can flip them for major league values outstanding
0: you would had a lot of success scouting high schoolers in Southern California. Obviously very, very talent-rich, but preps are still preps where there's a lot of different factors. These are young kids who can go a lot of different directions. We mentioned you drafted Jacob Nottingham, Jason Martin, two big leaguers, Patrick Sandoval, who's now having a nice run in the Angels system. You were involved in scouting both Brady Aiken and Jacob Nix. Obviously the Astros didn't sign them, but you were a part of, of their drafting as well as the area scout down there. When looking at preps in the region, what were some of the keys to to your run of success?
2: Um, You know, I think you just, probably as best you can, try to keep an optimistic view of the players and remind yourself that, hey, this kid is not a finished product today. He's not going to be in one or two years from now. But, you know, three years from today, if this kid went to college, what kind of prospect would he be? uh, five years from now when he's debuting, like what kind of prospect are they going to view him as? And you're kind of tr- trying to keep the long game in mind and, and seeing what components he has that are going to allow him to continue his improving both like in terms of baseball skills and tools. And, you know, I think a lot of it too is just like, I, I can't pat myself on the back too much. Like obviously we had a, a great number of scouts and like Chris Gross saw these guys. David Post saw these guys, Mike Elias saw these guys. Um, we all worked on those guys together, and we all liked them in you know very similar ranges. So th- there's an element of luck too. I mean, you get a few of those guys, and I'm sure there are a lot of scouts in Southern California who like those guys too. It's you know we had good support staff, and of course too, like we had the money to do it. And you pick in the right spot. There's there's an element of good fortune as well.
0: One of the things you just said that was very interesting to me was you know staying optimistic with these guys. A lot of times, the grind of scouting can, can wear a lot of evaluators down. It's a lot of nights on the road, a lot of nights away from your your family, your your spouse, your kids. And there are times where you will run into evaluators, young and old, who have a tough time staying staying optimistic on players just because the grind of the job. How difficult is that sometimes?
2: No, the fatigue of the spring is real, um, and it wears on you. Even in Southern California, obviously, like we get a little bit of a. I take a beating in the industry for being country club scouts but you know it's a lot of time on the road you're fighting traffic like the pace of games out there is higher than it is in a lot of other places you're dealing with a lot of directors and national guys coming through um so I, it is hard like i mean there's days you're very tired you're sitting looking at the 405 freeway and you're like man i don't want to drive another <laughs> 10 miles you know much less another 100 or something. But uh, we all love it. I mean, I think ultimately, like that's the thing that probably pushes all of us. is This is just something we love to do. Uh, we're all very passionate about it. So, in, in the grand scheme of things, as tired as you are, it, it, for me at least, it's like relatively easy to stay optimistic because you're just very fortunate to be doing this for a living.
0: Absolutely, and, and that optimism, I'm sure, feeds into itself a little bit when the guys you draft have success. You're following the careers of all the guys you draft. Uh, Jason goes up. You mentioned the year at Quad Cities he has where you start to see some things. He has a big year the next year at Lancaster, starts the next year off back at high A, gets traded, really has a nice campaign at Altoona. Once you started to see this really build and progress, how did you kind of see him growing as a player just in terms of you know, when you were able to watch him even though he was off to a different organization or in pro ball now?
2: Yeah, I think what he learned to do is um, really trust himself in sellout for pull-side power. And when he learned to do that, and he started to hit some home runs, he became a, a different player. Um, now all of a sudden it was a guy who not only might get to double-digit home runs, but, hey, maybe this guy can get to 15 to 20 home runs, uh, and there's going to be a lot more power there than we thought. And, and I think like the progression from being a contact-oriented hitter, and I don't think he hit a home run his first couple professional seasons, um to being a guy who's realized, hey, I got more power than people think or maybe than I even thought. I need to trust my hands, let this fly. Um, And I think that turned him into a different player, a much more dangerous player.
0: Absolutely. You mentioned not hitting a home run. He hit one home run his first two professional seasons, uh, both short seasons, so it encompassed about 100 games or so. Next year at Quad Cities, that number jumps to eight. The Next year at Lancaster, it jumps all the way to 23. Then you see 18. Then you see 13. Now he's in the big leagues, and it really starts to come. You mentioned you had projected it a little bit in high school. Did it come even faster or or differently than you imagined, or was this the track you thought it could happen?
2: No, yeah, probably to some degree. I I think there's maybe now a little more power there than we even projected as much as we liked him. and, and that's part of the deal. I mean, I think you're not trying to necessarily be perfect. You're just trying to identify where these guys may exceed expectation. And I, I do think top to bottom on that one, like one thing I'm proud of as a group, I think we all thought there was a little more power potential in there than maybe people were giving him credit for. But he, he may end up having a, a little bit more sock than we even thought. That's definitely possible.
0: Absolutely. Well, he's off to a great start in the big leagues. He's four for his first eight, has a double already. Uh to continue getting more time if he continues playing this way brad thank you so so much for joining us and congratulations on uh, signing another big leaguer
2: heck i appreciate it thank you man
0: that was brad budzinski Rays international cross checker and former astros area scout and west coast cross checker on jason martin really cool to hear from these scouts what they saw in these kids when they were 18 19 20 21 what they saw that they felt would make them big leaguers. And now that the dream has been realized, it's a moment of celebration for all involved. Again, I'd like to thank Brad Budzinski and John Stewart for joining us and sharing their stories. And thank you for listening to this edition of the Baseball America podcast. Go ahead and give us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, whatever platform you listen on. Want to hear back from you, you can reach me at Kyle A. Glazer on Twitter. That's at Kyle A. Glazer. And we look forward to bringing you more scouting stories on the next Baseball America podcast. For John Stewart and Brad Budzinski, I'm Kyle Glazer. Thank you for listening, everybody.